and Ellie Honig back with us at the wall. Let's just walk through this most recent indictment about election efforts overturn the election, January 6th. Where is it now? Yeah, Pop, the third indictment has landed. We can take a moment and assess huh. where we are and what's happening soon because we're going to have more action today. This, of course, is DOJ Special Counsel Jack Smith's indictment of Donald Trump related to the attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. This is in federal court in Washington, D.C. Important to note, the focus here is not so much on the Capitol attack on January 6th as on the conspiracy in the weeks and months leading up to it, the conspiracy to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 election using knowingly false claims of election fraud. Now, today, there will be litigation over a protective order. Prosecutors have said, Judge, you need to limit the way that Donald Trump uses the evidence and talks about it publicly. Donald Trump's team asked for a little more time to respond, and the judge said, nope, you got to respond today. Mm -hmm. Monday, we'll get that response later in the day. The next court appearance is going to be on August 28th. That's three weeks from now. And the key issue there is, will the judge set a trial date? I think she will. She has signaled that she's likely to. And I think it's likely to be before the election. But the question, of course, is, will that date mm -hmm. hold? That's where we are on the newest of the indictments. OK. What about the others? Yeah, so three other cases, let's remember. First of all, the other DOJ Jack Smith case yep. relating to classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Ten days ago, DOJ returned a superseding indictment, meaning a second version of the indictment, adding this individual, Carlos de Oliveira, as a third defendant and adding three new charges against Donald Trump. Now, the parties are going to court later this week, on Thursday mm -hmm. the 10th, and the big question will be, in light of the new indictment, does this trial date of May 2024 get pushed back? You know Donald Trump's team is going to argue, hey, we're charged with three new crimes here. We need more time. You know DOJ is going to push back against that. Let's not forget the first indictment that landed. This is the state-level prosecution by the Manhattan DA of Donald Trump relating to hush money payments for Stormy Daniels. They're in pretrial motions. They also have a trial date of March of 2024. And then the one that has not yet landed, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, the grand jury's in, the barricades are up. This could come at any moment. At any point. Yeah. We know by September 1st it's going to come. Exactly. Uh, calendar, so the walk us through all important it. calendar, right? You see all those dates. How are we going to get this all in in 2024? Let's circle a couple important dates. The election, of yeah. course, is here November 5th. We're not going to have a trial in October. There's going to be voting going on or September. No judge is going to have a trial that close to the election. Now, what's already taken? The Manhattan case, the hush money case, that is scheduled to start at the end of March. Yep. That is going to carry us through April. The Mar-a-Lago case is scheduled to start at the end of May. That is going to carry us through June and, I think, through July. So where is there a spot for, let's say, the January 6th case? I mean, Trump's team has said they believe it's going to take nine months to try it. I think that's wildly overrated, yep. overstated. But what if it's half that time? What if it's four months? There is no four-month gap. So one of these Unless is going to have to move. Unless this moves. Unless this was, and, and by the way, important point, Alvin Bragg, the DA, has more than signaled multiple times publicly that he's willing to come off this date or try to, if necessary, for the other. So this is all going to be fluid, but there's only so much time to try all these cases. Am I allowed to touch your magic? Go right I ahead. Like I was infringing a little <laughs> this bit This is there. actually a good visual representation <laughs> of what our 2024 is going to Oh, lovely. Like. Can't wait. Victor. Yeah. The absolute worst football player uh, that you just drew up. <laughs> and I don't even know football. Joining us now, former Deputy Chief of Staff for Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Maura Gillespie. She also was the press advisor for House Speaker John Boehner and former Communications Director for Vice President Kamala Harris, Jamal Simmons. Uh, and Ellie will be back with us in just a moment. Let's start here 
Mara, with this uh, claim from the former president that he won't get a fair trial in D.C., that he needs another judge. Do you think there's any credibility to either of those claims? It's an interesting take on the situation because obviously what happened on January 6th happened in D.C. and impacted not just the people in that vicinity, uh, but the city as a whole, but the country as a whole. So I think that uh, it's not surprising that he would make that argument, especially with what we're seeing ahead of the Georgia uh, indictment that's excited to come with the politicalization of things and having those those issues. But no, I'm I'm not. You think he can get a fair trial in D.C.? I think he'll get a fair trial in D.C. Jamal, this uh, request to have the judge recused, uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin, as I said, in the last hour, she has, uh, in several cases, sentenced these January 6th defendants to uh, sentences beyond what the prosecutors have requested. So if you look at this from a defense attorney perspective, you want a different judge. But is there anything here you think supports a request to recuse. Yeah, there's no constitutional right to being able to pick your courtroom, yeah. right? And, you know, and the place they want to change, the Trump team wants to change the venue to, is West Virginia, right? Which is a place that went for Donald Trump, like 70% of the voters, 69% of the voters went for Trump in West Virginia. So it's just not fair. Listen, Donald Trump should be giving the D.C. voters a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure they will be fairer to him than he was to the Capitol Police officers who were getting beaten up by his forces out on January 6th. And he could have stopped that, and he did not. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure the D.C. Uh, voters will be, and D.C. jurors will be much fairer to Donald Trump than he was to them. I agree with Jamal. I think there's no basis to disqualify this judge or to move the case out of D.C. And, you know, Judge Shutkin has been really tough in her January 6th cases. We all love it. We keep using the quote where she said, presidents are not kings, mm -hmm. plaintiff is not president. To me, the more telling quote from Judge Shutkin as to the seriousness with which she views this is she said in the sentencing of one of the January 6th rioters, this defendant did not go into the Capitol out of a sense of patriotic duty. He went in there for one man. That one man, of course, is now the person in front of her as a defendant. But there is not a conflict of interest here. The attacks on her are completely basis, baseless, and we should reject them. Listening to Trump's legal team, especially his lead counsel on this, John Lauro, they, it, he makes it sound like this is a slam dunk for us. I thought it was interesting because when he said to Dana yesterday, he cited Supreme Court precedent, basically saying, it's all clear here. Just, just look at what the Supreme Court did. I want to play that and get your reaction. The government alleges deceit or trickery, and all of this played out in the open. It's all free speech. There was a Supreme Court decision, Hammerschmidt, which is right on point, that says when you're exercising free speech, you're not engaging in a fraud on okay. the government. That's a case from 1924, Hammerschmidt versus the United States. What did it actually set as precedent? So what John Laura was doing there, it doesn't answer the question. It frames the question. The Hammerschmidt case actually involved a person who was urging people not to register for the selective service, for the draft. And the court there said, well, this is speech. This doesn't cross the line over into conduct. And that's exactly what the question will be in the Trump case. Was he just engaging in speech, in political speech, in dissent, or was he crossing over the line into actual conduct. And I think prosecutors are going to point to the submission of the fake elector certificates, among other things, to say there was this not was just speech, there was act. Exactly. But that's the key question. You know, the, that case doesn't answer it. it. It frames what the question will be. The whataboutism that we're seeing and hearing from the former president's defenders in Congress. Let's listen here to Senators Graham and Ernst and talk about it. 
When it comes to Donald Trump, there are no rules. Destroy him, destroy his family. When it comes to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, they get away with almost everything. We have one system of justice if your last name is Trump, and you have another system of justice if your last name is Biden. So, of course, Iowans are really upset about this. They see this as a very political move. Trump and Hunter Biden, how are these two cases comparable at all? They're not comparable. But I think one thing that may seem like a foreign concept in politics is objectivity. And people need to be objectively looking at this. There's no comparison, period. But to pretend like the Hunter Biden situation isn't important would be doing a disservice and is what's probably triggering people on the right to be so frustrated because it's being largely looked over. Objectively, if you're looking at the situation, it, it looks a little off, right? It doesn't look great that the president's son that got a sweetheart deal and then days later was being paraded around the White House at the state dinner with the DOJ head, Merrick Garland, also in attendance. So objectively, it doesn't look good. Again, there's no comparison to what these indictments are against President, former President Trump, but it just is important to point that out. Um, but I think that's what they're trying to do uh, in talking about those issues, but correlating them is, is a mistake. Uh, Ron, Ron, Poppy, just yeah, for the on. record, yeah. <laughs> just for the record, just to remind everybody where we were, Early in the administration, there were members of the Kushner family who were caught in China telling people they could get visas if they were willing to invest in the United States, that Donald Trump would give them visas. At the same time, Jared Kushner could not get a security clearance, while he, a permanent security clearance, while he was working in the White House, right? So if we want to talk about family members of the president who are doing things that impact the country, I think Jared Kushner and his family are, were much more of a problem for the president during the Trump administration than Hunter Biden is for Joe Biden, based on something that he did as a private well, citizen. Both of those the health scenarios you mean you need to you take a closer lens at how yeah. this looks to the American people sure. and what kind of parameters we have just it in It looks general bad generally. That. And I think you can yeah. be objective in that and say, <laughs> it doesn't look great. But so, neither one of them compared to a former president of the United States agree. who's instigating yeah. a riot on the Capitol on January 6th Save that we all us. watched on television. <laughs>